Today on Blue 58, after regrouping from a disappointing Week 1 loss, the Packers are welcoming a team of kneecap biters to Lambeau Field for Monday Night Football. What should we expect from Dan Campbell and the Lions? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Before we dive into the Lions, I want to give you, well, part of the episode that was supposed to come out on Wednesday. Had an interesting time here at the uh, Blue 58 Power Sweep headquarters this week. Tuesday night, some severe weather rolled through northwest Ohio. Wasn't supposed to be that big of a deal. But I'm sitting here taping the episode, actually, and my wife comes downstairs. Ah, I think we should get the kiddo and, and come down in the basement. Turns out she was right. It was it was pretty nasty here for a little bit. Got uh, about two inches of rain in 45 minutes, and some of it ended up in my house, uh, as things do sometimes. So luckily, we were hanging out in the basement and just happened to be standing there with the shop vac, but that ended up uh, wiping out the, the podcast taping for Tuesday night. So here we are talking a little bit of week one recap before we dive into week two here. I want to take a, a second to give you part of that episode. Uh, we were going to dive into five or six big questions from that from that first game of the season. Instead, I just want to kind of circle back to two or three things that we, we were going to talk about in that episode before we talk about the Lions. Uh, first, uh, the, emerging from that game was this idea that the Packers don't play well in warm weather. I wanted to see how true that actually was, so I did a brief study on that and found that there may be something to it. The Packers have played in 17 games where the kickoff temperature has been 80 degrees or higher uh, since 2000, and with the heat index, some of those go even higher. There's really no correlation between how much above 80 degrees uh, the temperature gets and how poorly the Packers play, but they are under 500 when the temperature is 80 or higher. They are 7 and 10 against the spread and 4 and 5 under Rodgers. 3 and 4 if you don't count their tie with the Vikings in 2018, which, I mean, if you want to make the case either way, I'm, I'm agreeable to that, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to make that a bragging point one way or another. So basically here it looks like we could say if not just straight up playing worse in the heat, the Packers are underperforming expectations when the temperature is really hot. Something to file away. Uh, 17 games since 2021 isn't all that many, so it's not one that happens a whole lot. There was one game that jumped out as particularly miserable way out back in uh, in 2000. Uh, the Packers played in Buffalo, of all places, and they had one of those games where it's 80-plus degrees humid, or 80-plus degrees and 55, 56% humidity or so. That was the only game of these 17 on the list where the Packers were playing on AstroTurf. So just imagine the unpleasantness of playing on that surface in addition to the heat. Uh, you understand why the Packers may have lost that game, and they did. Uh, Buffalo handled them pretty well that day. Uh, second thing emerging from the first game of the season was should the Packers, I guess specifically Aaron Rodgers, have played in this in the preseason? Does playing in the preseason affect Aaron Rodgers. I look back at every season he's played since he became the starting quarterback, how he did in the preseason, how much he played in the preseason, uh, and how he started out the first four games of the regular season. There's really no correlation either. Uh, years that he played a lot, sometimes he started pretty poorly. 2010, for example, Aaron Rodgers had 40 pass attempts in the preseason through five touchdowns, no picks. Uh, but in the first four games of the season, his passer rating was just 96.3 almost 30 points lower than it was in the preseason and lower than it would ultimately end up being for the 2010 season as a whole. Rodgers ended up playing pretty well that year. The Packers won the Super Bowl, uh, so on and so forth. You, you kind of get the story there. 
2016, the exact opposite. Uh, Rodgers threw nine passes in the preseason that year uh, and played pretty poorly to start the regular season. A passer rating of just 87.7 that year. Uh, but his season rating ended up being 104.2. So he really improved. Maybe he was a little bit rusty in the preseason. Ah, but there are mitigating factors here. You remember the 2016 season was a, a bit of a fraught proposition between uh, between Rodgers and, and Mike McCarthy. Also, remember that the Packers had some serious issues at running back uh, in the start of the season. Eddie Lacy, though playing well and, and playing pretty consistently, was banged up to start that year. James Starks did not play per- particularly well, and the Packers had literally nobody playing running back beyond those two guys. They tried Don Jackson, uh, Niall Davis, uh, eventually ended up with Kristen Michael that year. It was uh, it was pretty tough. They didn't have a lot of support for Rodgers in the backfield, and they didn't have a lot of support at wide receiver either because although Devontae Adams was coming into, the, into his own that year, Jordy Nelson was just on his way back uh, from ACL surgery. Those were his first four games in more than a year. He didn't play in the preseason either. Uh, so I don't think you can place that entirely on Rodgers. There's just not a lot of correlation between how well he played in the preseason, how much he played in the preseason, and regular season stuff. Look, just for instance, at the very next year, he only threw four more passes than he did in 2016, but he comes out pretty solid, um, very good in the first four games, a passer rating of 100.7. Uh, you take out a rough outing in Atlanta, and it probably is much higher than that. And you know, down the stretch, he's playing much better until he breaks his collarbone against the Vikings. So really... Looking at the evidence more completely, there isn't much correlation between how Rodgers plays early in the season and how he play or how much he played in the preseason. It just it just isn't there. There's not evidence for that really at all. The other thing I wanted to talk about briefly was what the Packers should do with Elton Jenkins now that it appears that uh, there may be both some stability and some question marks inside. Uh, at at the guard spots once David Bakhtiari comes back. So they're not going to sit Bakhtiari for Elton Jenkins no matter how well he plays at left tackle. But there is an alternative path forward. The Packers have two guard spots that they need to fill, and right now it looks like Royce Newman is okay to good, and Lucas Patrick is both injured with a concussion and uh, a little bit more shaky. You can flip-flop some of those evaluations depending on who you talk to, but it looks like basically the Packers have one guard they feel pretty good about and one guard spot that's going to be a question mark for the rest of the season. Now, normally, you'd put Elton Jenkins back at guard, and then you have no guard spots that you're working about, working, worrying about. But what if there is another solution? What if we moved Billy Turner from tackle to guard, moved whoever is playing right guard over to left guard, and bumped Elton Jenkins all the way over to the right side? To me, I think that's a really intriguing possibility because it utilizes your resources at the most valuable offensive line spots. Now, all five offensive linemen are valuable. You need a group of five to really get through a season, or at least a group of four, or at least a group of guys that is no, has no significant weak link to get through a season. It's that best five on the field thing that Matt LaFleur is always talking about. But tackles inherently are more valuable than guards. It's just the way it works. So what if you put your two best linemen at tackle. I think that's the common sense solution here. Elton Jenkins, we no no longer need your services at left tackle. We're going to put our supremely highly paid, supremely talented left tackle there. Why don't you take a journey down to the other end of the line, relieve Billy Turner of those duties, then we can stick him inside and uh, have a couple really big athletic interior offensive linemen. I think Turner's probably a little bit better at tackle than at guard, but 
Elton Jenkins is better at guard and tackle than Turner, and tackle is more valuable, so let's put Elton Jenkins there. Sound pretty good? Good. Just a thought coming out of week one. Finally, though nothing appears to have come of it, I think we should mention at least in passing that the Packers worked out two corners this week. Holden Hill worked out with the Packers on Monday. Six foot, 296 pound corner out of Texas. Go Longhorns. 7-5 relative athletic score. Good straight line speed. 4-4, 40-yard dash. 6-8-3, three-cone time. That is elite agility numbers. Uh, he's played quite a few defensive snaps already. More than 700 over three years with the Vikings. Uh, appeared in 2018, or 28 games with Minnesota from 2018 through 2020. Could have a rare Vikings to Packers thing in the works here if he ends up signing with the Packers at some point this year. Best year is probably 2018. He had three picks and one, or three starts, excuse me, and one interception that season. The other defensive back who worked out for the Packers this week was Chris Johnson. Had a tryout with the Packers on Tuesday. He's a defensive back out of Northern Alabama, North Alabama. Go Lions. Uh, Division two team until 2017 and a pretty darn good one as well. Johnson, big guy, six foot three, 200 pounds, found some testing numbers on him that I was not able to verify, but this was from a local news report on his pro day. A 4.61 40-yard dash time, so not super talented there, not super great straight line speed, uh, but good short shuttle, 4.41, and a good three-cone time at 6.82. That is slightly better, out one-hundredth of a second better than Holton Hill. Uh, who has an elite time there. So both of those times would be extra good for safety, which is what Johnson is billed at, though he is generally just described as a, a defensive back. Probably looking at another special teamer here, uh, less than cornerback def- depth, which is probably what Hill would be, but never hurts to have some good special teamers around. All right, I think we're all caught up from week one. Let's talk about the Detroit Lions. What does playing the Detroit Lions feel like? To me... I think playing the Lions every year, twice a year, feels like going to the DMV. You like going to the DMV? I don't. But you got to do it. No matter how much stuff you can fill out online. In Ohio, where I live, you can do a lot of stuff for the DMV online. We can renew our registrations, all sorts of things like that. You rarely have to go down there. But every so often, you got to do it. And it's not going to be fun, and it's not going to be interesting, and it's probably going to be worse than you expect, no matter how bad you think it's going to be. But you got to do it. It's the only place you can get that stuff done. And the only place you can play the Lions, well, one of two places is Lambeau Field or Detroit. Sooner or later, you're going to have to deal with it. It's the worst, though, when you're in a situation where you really need something from them and they know you need it too. I had to transfer a title from the state of Indiana to the state of Ohio once. That was the most painful process I've ever been through at the DMV. Had to have documents with your name on them. Had to have documents with your address on them. No problem. Just bought a house. All sorts of documents with both my name on them and my address on them. Because, you know, they're saying, I own this house. This is where the house is. Those documents are going to work, right? Well, ask the people at the DMV, is that going to work? Sure, bring them on down. Come back an hour later. Ha, just kidding. No, those documents aren't going to work. You know why? Well, we can't really give you a reason why, but they don't work. You can't use those. Well, what can I use? Well, you need a bill. Well, I've only lived at the house for three days. I don't have any bills. What can you do? Well, there's nothing we really we can do, but I got to get the car registered and changed over today. That sounds like your problem. Well, you told me these documents would work. No, we didn't. And so on and so forth. That's the DMV. And that's kind of where the Packers find themselves this week. The Packers need something from the Lions and what they need is a win. 
This isn't a must-win game for the Lions, but they do kind of need a win. Let me explain. Packers will lost in week one. You know this. I know this. We've talked about it. On the horizon are both the Lions and the 49ers. Now, you, me, and the Packers don't want to start 0-3, but if I was a betting man, I'd say week three is going to be a pretty significant challenge. 49ers always seem to play the Packers pretty tough. Uh, Kyle Shanahan seems to know what he's doing there. And sooner or later, we're going to be getting the Trey Lance experience. That means if the Packers want to avoid having to win in San Francisco in prime time to avoid an 0-3 start, they kind of have to win this week. That's how that math works out, right? 0-1 in week one. Let's just say hypothetically they lose in, in week three. That's going to be two losses. Yep, they need that, that win in, uh, in Lambeau against the Lions to avoid 0-3. So that means a trip to the DMV to get something you need. Better bring the right paperwork. Let's talk about the Lions. Lions got a new head coach in town. And I guarantee you, if you don't know who Dan Campbell is, you've heard at least one soundbite from him before you've even gotten to know what he's like as a person. This was the Dan Campbell experience in the introductory press conference. Uh, We're going to kick you in the teeth. All right. And when you punch us back, we're going to smile at you. And when you knock us down... We're going to get up, and on the way up, we're going to bite a kneecap off, all right? And we're going to stand up, and then it's going to take two more shots to knock us down, all right? And on the way up, we're going to take your other kneecap, and we're going to get up, and then it's going to take three shots to get us down. And when we do, we're going to take another hunk out of you. Before before long, we're going to be the last one standing. What scares me a little bit listening to that quote by Dan Campbell is uh, a little point in the middle where his, he starts breathing a little bit faster, and you, you can almost see him playing out the scenario in his head where he is biting somebody's kneecaps off. That's Dan Campbell in a nutshell. Ten-year playing career as a tight end in the NFL. Played for the Giants, Cowboys, and Lions. And he thinks as a coach that gives him an advantage. We wrote about him back in 2018 uh, when we were talking about uh, potential head coaching candidates for the Green Bay Packers. And Campbell had been around for a while. He had been an interim coach for quite some time with the with the Dolphins. Went 5-7. and seven filling in midseason actually for Joe Philbin, former Packers offensive coordinator, and uh, ended up back in Green Bay and actually was an interim coach for the Packers. But filled in uh, for Philbin down the stretch, cleaned house, redid everything on the fly, and ended up having a pretty darn good season as well there. He thinks being a former player gives him an advantage. Uh, Here's the quote we dug up at that time. Quote, one of the hardest things for ex-players who are coaches is for them to really drive their players. They've been in their shoes. They know how hard it is and how bad some of this stuff sucks and the grind of it. And they somewhat feel sorry or empathy for those players they're coaching. That's the worst thing you can do. It really is. I think it gets a lot of coaches who are not hard enough on them. End quote. Well, as you can see, he has no problem being hard on players now. Wants a bunch of kneecap biters. Part of that intensity might come, just got to throw this in here somewhere, from his coffee order. A later press conference after his first uh, first introductory conference with the with the Detroit Lions media there, he shared a little bit about his personal coffee order. You can understand why he comes across as a little intense. Well, to normally what I do is I get I'll get two venti. I go you know Starbucks. I get two venti of the pipe with two shots in them, so black eye in both. That's what I come in with. That's how I start the day. So if you are not Starbucks familiar two ventis with two shots what he's meaning is two 20 ounce coffees of the pikes that's their pikes place roast that is actually my preferred thing when i go to starbucks uh it's their dark roast coffee so extra strong so two 20 ounce 
coffees there, and two shots of espresso in each of those. If your heart is beating a little fast after you have that, that would be understandable. I used to drink a lot of coffee. Working in morning news, I'd be up at 2.30 every single day. And you need some coffee to get through the day. And I would drink coffee pretty much by the pot in the morning. It was never quite like that, though. I think I could have probably broadcast the news from my own head if I had that much juice in my system at the time. I I wouldn't even need a radio broadcast tower. I probably could have just sat down and thought it out to everybody in Milwaukee, and they would have heard it. That's Dan Campbell on a daily basis. He went into coaching pretty much immediately after his career in the NFL ended, uh, signed on with the Dolphins as a coaching intern in 2010. I actually would have had him matched up with the Packers back at that point. He was 34 at the time, uh, spent a few more years with the Lions as their tight ends coach, and in 2015 took over as the interim head coach, as we mentioned. From there, he moved on to be the assistant head coach and tight ends coach with the New Orleans Saints, and he was there from 2016 through 2020, and then this year he took over as the head coach of the Lions. The Lions in general shouldn't be all that scary. This is a rebuilding year for them, and there's five reasons why they know why we know that. First, they've got no long-term stability at quarterback. Jared Goff seems like an okay bridge player, uh, you know, bridge getting you from one place to another. I don't know how he does at the card game. Uh, But he's not the long-term answer. If he was the long-term answer anywhere, he would still be playing in Los Angeles. Uh, They've got a new GM, so he's going to be making things the way he wants them to be. They've got a new head coach in Dan Campbell. They also passed on the chance to draft a quarterback. They passed on both Mac Jones and Justin Fields. We also know that they were really bad last year, 5-11. and So five reasons why you are a rebuilding team. If you were bad, if you don't have a quarterback... If you've got a quarterback who's not going to be your quarterback long-term, new head coach, new general manager, yep, you're a rebuilding team. That's just the way it is. 5-11 last year, you might be tempted to say, well, maybe did they underachieve or overachieve, or maybe were they unlucky in close games? No, 4-4 last year in games decided by a touchdown or less. By point differential, their expected win-loss total last year was 5.1 and 10.9. Ended up at 5-11, basically exactly where they were supposed to be. Let's talk about the Lions offense then, Uh, starting with that quarterback, Jared Goff. 6'4", 222 pounds in his sixth season out of California. He landed in Detroit as part of the massive Matt Stafford trade. In that trade, the Lions got Matt Stafford, or the Rams got Matt Stafford, and the Lions got Goff, a 2022 first-round pick, and a 2023 first-round pick and third-round pick. Not too bad. Uh, If you're not going to draft a quarterback, at least have two first-rounders for the year when you're going to. Or the year after that. Might as well see what happens. Get a lot of assets and go from there. Wonder if this might be a potential model for a future Packers trade involving a quarterback. We talked about this when it went down. I concluded it would probably be three firsts for Rodgers, but you never know. We'll see how this season goes and if the Packers ultimately do want to trade Rodgers anyway. Where are the Lions strong? It's tough to say on offense. It's early. They had a weird game in week one uh, with the 49ers. But if you had to pick one spot right now, if I had to pick one spot, it might be running back. Small asterisk, of course, next to running backs. We know that offensive line plays a huge part in running back success. But they've got a pretty good one in Jamal Williams. Of course, we know Jamal Williams. We've always said he doesn't bring a ton to the table, but he doesn't take anything off the table either. He runs hard, if not explosively. He catches well, if not dynamically. He pass protects really well, full stop. 
and he seems to be pretty well built to take advantage of where the Packers have some big questions. Defensive line, linebacker, if you were going to run hard up the middle, a back like Jamal Williams would probably do that for you. And it's worth taking a second to remember how Jamal Williams is regarded in Green Bay. Everybody loves him. Billy Turner had a great quote about him. Uh, It's a little bit long, but I'm going to play it for you. Uh, He loves the guy. He loved blocking for him, and he loved seeing what he could do on the field. Jamal Williams is a great person. He was one of my favorite teammates that I've ever probably um, played with. He's just a great dude, as you said, not only on the football field and in the locker room, but off the field as well. I love talking to Jamal just about life, and I love watching him go out on the field on Sunday and play because he plays the game the right way. Him and Aaron Jones are very, very similar. They play the game hard, and they give it their all every single play. If not running back, I might think about tight end as well. TJ Hawkinson, the big stud tight end the Lions have, good Uh, But it may not just be him either. It may just be tight ends in general. Consider this. Jameis Winston only had 148 yards passing last week. Only 14 completions. Of course, five touchdowns in there too. But of those 148 yards and 14 completions, six of those completions went to tight ends for 39 yards and two touchdowns. The Packers have had problems with tight ends for years. Early returns would suggest they're not super great against tight ends. Again, boy, that just sounds so familiar. It's almost like changing defensive coordinators doesn't magically make your defense better if you don't change anything else. Where are the Lions vulnerable on offense? I would start with the offensive line. They had a low-end offensive line last year, but they drafted Panay Sewell high this year, and they've now got him back at left tackle, which is his traditional position due to some injuries elsewhere. Still some big question marks in the offensive line as a whole. Might also think about wide receiver being a bit of a problem for the Lions. Right now, it's a bunch of no-names. In my weekly Q&A for Acme Packing Company, I talked to Mike Payton of Pride of Detroit. I asked him, what's the deal with the, the Lions pass catchers? Because other than TJ Hawkinson, uh, it's it's not a great-looking group. And he basically agreed to me. He said of their pass catchers, quote, Right now, it's hard to tell. Goff threw the ball to anyone that was willing to catch it last Sunday. Khalif Raymond came up really big with some plays. Quintez Cephas... Uh, just as a side note, formerly of Wisconsin, did as well. But they were pretty quiet until that comeback in the fourth quarter. Lions fans expect big things from rookie Amon Ra St. Brown, but he also was pretty bad, pretty silent, excuse me, in week one, end quote. So not a lot of studs at wide receiver. Let's circle back to Panay Sewell, though, for somebody we should know about on their offensive line, on their offense as a whole. Sewell is six foot four, 331 pounds out of Oregon. He was Dane Brugler's top-rated tackle and pretty much everybody's top-rated cl- tackle in this year's draft class. As an interesting note, Sewell was a guard recruit coming out of high school. You don't see that guard-to-tackle switch very often. Apparently, Oregon always thought of him as a tackle, only ever wanted him there, but uh, that's not all that common. You don't see guys switching from guard in high school to tackle at the college level. Usually, it's tackle in college or to guard or tackle in high school to guard at the college level, or tackle in the NFL, or in college to guard in the NFL, as we've seen many times at the Packers. But Sewell made the reverse switch from from high school guard to college tackle. He's just a super athlete, eight nine nine relative athletic score, thirty reps on the bench, nine foot one inch broad jump. Um, not enormous for a left tackle. You see some questions about length if you look at his scouting report and things like that. I don't know. If the Lions leave him at left tackle, it's probably not that big a deal. David Bakhtiari isn't the biggest guy in the world either, and it works out for him just fine. Switching over to defense, 
the Lions, if they have a strength, it's in their front seven. They've got big money edge rusher Trey Flowers, who had a pretty solid week last week on the edge. Packers are going to be watching him, obviously. Not a defensive lineman or edge rusher, but Jamie Collins, another former Patriot with Flowers, is worth watching in the front two at inside linebacker. Now wears number eight for the Lions. He's going to be a big hitter in the run defense. We said this last week, but in terms of vulnerability, it's hard to look anywhere but the secondary in Detroit. Jeffrey Akuda is out with a torn Achilles tendon. He is their top corner. Their number two corner now is Amani Oruarie, a 2019 fifth-round pick, 6'2", 205. First year as a full-time starter was last year, and it's not been spectacular for him so far. Their slot corner is A.J. Parker. He was one of Pro Football Focus's best-graded players from the game last week. He's 5'11", 178 pounds, playing in his first NFL season. Their other noteworthy worthy corner is third-round pick Ifiaru Malafanwu, uh, who's a very good athlete, but only played 12 snaps in week one. This is, and that's just the corner position. There's problems at safety, too. This is not a great secondary, but we saw what that counted for last week between injuries and depth problems with the Saints. Who then should we know about on the Lions defense? I would say Romeo Okwara, uh, just because... I'm a little bit curious as to what he's going to do this year. Six foot four, 263 pounds. He had a breakout season last year, 10 sacks in a contract year. Good time to do it. We can call that the Nick Perry special. He had 10 sacks combined in his previous four seasons, but you turn it on when it counts and you get a big payday. And, uh, well, it works out for you. I mentioned his name because he is their second best pass rusher after Flowers, but the Packers held Aquara in check last year. Just four tackles, one for loss and no sacks in two games against Green Bay last season. Speaking of last season, the last time the Packers played the Lions was in Week 13 of the 2020 season. This was a classic Matt LaFleur-Packers game. They started hot, got up 14-7, to no problem. Then they took a bit of a nap. Their two drives in the second quarter went 12 plays, 42 yards total. Good work, everybody. But then they figured it out. Their last five drives, last four drives, touchdown, touchdown, field goal, end of game. Boom. Not too bad. Packers come out on top with a win. Marquez Valdez-Scantling had what may have been his best day as a pro, his best touchdown as a pro, if nothing else. Nice toe-tapper, body control catch in the front right corner of the end zone. Devontae Adams had a long catch and run score. Weird to see him doing that even on the highlights now. Four different Packers players came up with a sack in this game. Kenny Clark, Darnell Savage, Dean Lowry, Rashawn Gary. Robert Tunyon scored his ninth touchdown of the season against the Lions. Tavon Austin made his first appearance for the Packers in that game. Four touches, two on catches for three yards. He had one punt return for two yards and uh, one fair catch. He uh, This game was also A.J. Dillon's first game back after his big COVID problem last year. The Packers, true to form, almost blew an onside kick late. They tried to wait for the ball to roll 10 yards as the receiving team. Uh, you don't have to do that. Once the ball is kicked, you can run and pick it up. And the Packers should try to do that next time. Also, as a final note in this game, uh, Adrian Peterson suited up for the Lions. Always forget that happened. Did you forget that happened? I wouldn't blame you if you did. He didn't do a whole lot in that game, but it's just funny to see Adrian Peterson in a Lions uniform. So who's going to win in this game? I think the Packers have a really good shot of getting back on track in this game. Last week didn't go as planned, right? I think there's a better chance that things go as planned this week. I understand If you're a little bit skeptical, I'm a little bit skeptical too. But thinking back to the idea of team life cycles, 
I think the Packers are later and more mature in their life cycles than the Lions. That didn't work out very well for the Packers last week, I realize, but bear with me. The Packers are later in their life cycle than the Lions. They have an established team. They know what they are. All of their intangible qualities should be well known to them. They know their personnel. They know what they are. They know what they want to do. And I think that makes them more adaptable coming out of a bad situation. The Lions under Dan Campbell here in their second week under Campbell are still figuring out who they are. The Packers should at least know, and I think the Packers are a more talented team. And I think that gives the Packers the edge. Now, there is a world where the Lions can move the ball on offense, and that changes a lot for how the Packers attack their defense. But I don't think it's sustainable enough for the Lions to hang with the Packers in what could be a shootout. I don't know if the Packers have it together enough for this to be a shootout, but give me the Packers 27, Lions 20. The line on this game is Packers by 11. That seems like a lot from what we saw from the Packers last week. You, on the other hand, are also a little bit skeptical. Only 84% of the people we polled this week thought the Packers were going to win. That is historically a pretty low number. Generally speaking, people are well above 90% in their uh, opinions on the Packers. But uh, people are down on the Packers just about, uh, just about everywhere or everywhere else. Just 25.6% of people currently approve of the overall direction of the team. Everybody other than Marie Strayton took a hit to their popularity last, last week or over the last week. Matt LaFleur's rating, approval rating is down to 71.1%. Brian Gutekunst is down to 585 Aaron Rodgers' approval rating plummeting from near 90 all the way down to 20% even this week. Joe Barry, whose approval rating was like 1.7% to start last week, down to zero. And I don't blame people for being that way. Maurice Drayton, though, skyrocketing up from 3.9% last week to 15.4% approval rating this week. People are pretty happy with Maurice Drayton. Perhaps just because he's not Sean Menenga. Before I go, I uh, just want to remind you that uh, things are changing for us here in the very near future. Uh, we're having another kid on Monday. Very, very exciting. Uh, but as a result, I'm going to be at the hospital Monday evening and uh, not watching the Packers or doing any podcasting or, or things like that. We'll be back in touch with you, hopefully, for our Week 3 preview. Certainly for our Week 3 recap. Uh, probably we'll be very tired, but hey. Might as well stay up late anyway, uh, because uh, with an infant around, not going to get a whole lot of sleep anyhow. Just wanted to remind you of that and thank you for your support in the meantime. So I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. Appreciate you listening in. If you enjoyed this episode and think somebody else would enjoy it as well, it would mean a lot to me if you'd go ahead and share it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation we are having about the Green Bay Packers, which is going to help everybody me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.